Well, spring break! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Man, we are so glad. Welcome to Reengage. There's just like, there's like a few empty seats. I think might be a little light on the spring break this week. Um, but it is, it is so, we are so glad that you guys have chosen and to be here and to invest your time with us this Wednesday night and to talk about what matters. Um, I love that song. I love, I love reminders kind of of that, you know, that's the first dance song, right? Like, at least for some of us. I don't know if it was for us or not, but um, it, was, it was a long time ago. It was like 19 years ago, um, and I don't remember what I had for breakfast. So, but for, for many of us, um, that really, that, that song conjures up like that wedding day and just how special that was and being in love, and I think those reminders are valuable. And so I hope you're encouraged, honestly, that you can come in here and be reminded of how great love is. Um, it is a gift from God. Let's make no mistake about it. All, the good, all good things come from him. And so what I want to do is just pray for our time um, and ask him to step in and do that which only he can do. Our God, he, he is the absolute master of taking disaster and turning it around into something amazing, of turning the ashes that we bring in um, into marriage, or that we turned our marriage into, and turning it into something beautiful. And so I want to pray for that specifically for all of us here tonight, um, and then we'll worship a little bit together. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for being a God that is bigger than all of, all of the junk that we bring in to, to marriage. And Lord, we just pray that you'd step in. It's, it's hard. Um, but we pray that you would step in um, and just do what only you can do tonight. So God, we, um, we give it to you. We pray that you would be honored by it because um, we know, Lord, that when you are glorified, that we are blessed. And so, Lord, we, we ask that and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand up? Let's worship a little bit together.
And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and say. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. praise you for what you have done. And yet, Lord, we, we, in the same breath, we have to claim our own weakness. God, we need you. We need you to step into our marriages. We need you to heal our relationships. And so, God, we just pray that you would do that, and that we would gain greater understanding of who you are tonight, and then we would just respond accordingly in a, in a way that makes sense. And so, God, would you help us do that? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You guys can be seated. We on? There we go. Hey, it is with just incredible pleasure that I get to introduce to you tonight John and Debbie Wingfield. And as I was standing next to them during our worship time tonight, I stopped just to purposely hear you sing. You can sing. Yeah, your group just agreed and said, yes, he can. Am I right? They just said they, they're a witness over here that you can sing. And I think what's so great about your story is that you're about to sing the story of how God has redeemed your marriage. And I do pray that all in the room tonight will have their ears open and their eyes wide and the heart receptive to what John and Debbie are going to share with us. You guys come on up. I mean, sparkles on my shirt or anything. Actually, it's kind of on purpose. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I got dressed first. Okay. Thank you, Susan. Like Susan said, we're John and Debbie. Uh, we just finished um, celebrating our 41st wedding anniversary. Uh, we actually have a picture from way back then. Uh, you can see that white tuxedos were all the rage. <laughs> yeah. Looking pretty good, weren't we? Um, also, we have three adult children. We have a family photo here of us recently. There's our whole group with little Jeff down on the end. And our latest addition, our little granddaughter, I call her Dewdrop. <laughs> there she is. Uh, we showed up at Reengage 10 years ago. After a very dark season in our marriage, the good news is Christ is taking our marriage mess and is turning it into a message. We pray our story tonight will encourage you as you walk through God's plan for marriage. I was born in Dallas two months early, and that is the last time I've ever been early for anything. <laughs> I have a younger sister, and growing up, we had a fun childhood. 
I rarely got into trouble, and we spent a lot of time playing outdoors. My parents took us to church some of the time, but we didn't talk about Jesus very often. My dad was very kind, and he was cheerful and traditional. And we spent a lot of time playing with airplanes, going camping, and building things. I think maybe he wanted a boy, but I'm not sure. Uh, My mother was not traditional, and I used to think about how different my parents were. She taught me how to cook and sew, but also told me I needed to learn how to shoot a gun and fly an airplane. And she made me feel like I could do almost anything. She told me she thought she could drop me off in a foreign country, and somehow I would figure out how to get home. I'm one of seven kids. My dad traveled a lot for business, so we were basically raised by my mom. My dad, however, when home, was verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive. One of the most vivid memories of my childhood was when I was about 10 years old and my dad was standing on my neck with my head smashed up against the leg of the sofa. While my dad was away on extended business trips of one to three months at a time, my brothers and sisters ran wild. I rarely got into trouble because I was kind of the good kid. As a result, later in life, the lives of my brothers and sisters looked a lot like a rich version of the TV show Cops. Their lives were marked by abortion, multiple divorces, drug and alcohol abuse, grand theft auto, homelessness, prostitution, and felony robbery. So life without an earthly father and no belief in a heavenly father led our family to destruction. John and I met in the second grade and we became good friends, especially in junior high and high school. We used to walk home from school together And since I was so tall, I walked down in the street and he walked up on the curb. True story. (laughs) Debbie was absolutely the tallest girl in the second grade, and I was probably the shortest boy. I think we have a photograph of us. Uh, That's the seventh grade. Debbie's top left, tallest girl in this whole school. And I'm uh, second from the left uh, over there, shortest boy. So On the bottom row. On the bottom row. Short people row. With the short people row, yes. Sorry. Thank you. Well, you're not short anymore. Okay. That's the only reason I could say I'm sorry. Um, When I was about 12 years old, my parents announced to us that they would be getting a divorce. My sister and I were totally shocked because we had never seen them fight before. I also remember feeling very awkward and embarrassed at school because I thought no one else had divorced parents. I remember for a while my family went to church until we learned the pastor was an alcoholic. It was during this time my dad began to teach us that there wasn't a God, and even if there was one, he didn't know you or care about you. My dad told me that if I wanted to get something done in my life, it was going to be all on my own because no one outside the front door cared two cents about me. I began trusting in what I call the human trinity, me, myself, and I. Debbie and I continued our friendship through junior high, and we wrote notes to each other. We signed them, your true life friend. By high school, my dad had become quite wealthy. And I can tell you with certainty, money doesn't buy you happiness, as the scripture says. Our family continued far from God, and my dad continued to be absent. I was 12 when I saw an announcement in our church bulletin for a confirmation class. And so I asked my mom if she would take me. It lasted a few weeks, and there is really where I made a commitment to follow Jesus. I can't remember when I first heard about the Lord, but I just remember always believing that God is real and that he's there for me and he wants the best for me. Later, I found a correspondence Bible study in the back of a magazine. They sent me lessons each week. I studied and filled them out and I turned them back in and I just kept going to church. 
<clears throat> the week of my high school graduation and my 18th birthday, my mother died from cancer at 48 years old. And although it was a sad time, God gave me great strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. <clears throat> During our senior year in high school, while on a date, I knew that Debbie was the one I wanted to marry. She was standing in the moonlight, wearing a beautiful lavender sweater, and holding a football. <laughs> she was the only girl I knew that could throw a perfect spiral for 25 yards. I was sold. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we continued to date through college, and we got married when we were 22. And I was attracted to John's personality. He's always been an entrepreneur. He's driven and creative and decisive, and he's hilarious and a problem solver. He loves challenges and excitement, and I was a little shy and definitely not a risk taker. We were married in a church in University Park that Debbie was raised in, and we began attending together even though I considered myself an atheist. I used it as a way to make business contacts. Imagine that. I even became Sunday school class president as a non-believer. I was a total fraud. Uh, early in our marriage, we had a lot of fun, and we were actually pretty happy. <clears throat> we spent a lot of time with our friends on the weekends. We went to church once in a while, but more often we would just spend our weekends at the lake. I rarely spent time in the Word, and I'd probably never heard of the phrase biblical marriage. My priorities were work, fun, and John. <clears throat> After being married for seven years, I had my first miscarriage, and we were devastated. Five months later, I was pregnant again, and I started having some terrible pain at work. It was the day after Christmas, and my doctor was off, so I went home and I went to bed. Thinking I would be okay for now, I encouraged John to go to his business meeting that night, <clears throat> and I said I would just rest. I didn't realize that I was beginning to have severe internal bleeding. All of a sudden, I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't lift my arm to reach for the phone to call for help. When John got home, he tried to call an ambulance, but they refused to come just over a pregnancy. So he drove me to the hospital, and it was one of those nights in Dallas when it's the awful ice that you don't get on. I don't remember much from that night except fainting a lot and doctors running me down the hall, <clears throat> being rolled into the OR at 1 a.m., and I later found out I had an ovarian pregnancy and had nearly bled to death. That night, I took Debbie to the emergency room, nearly dead. I found myself wandering around Baylor Hospital and experiencing a loneliness that I had never felt in my life. I walked into the hospital chapel around 2 a.m. and began to cry out to a God I didn't even believe existed. I look back on it now and call it my bargain prayer. Lord, if you're real, you will save <clears throat> Debbie and I will follow you. Of course, God was faithful, but I was not. Afterwards, John took very good care of me, and all I had to think about was getting well. A year later, we had a baby boy. 20 months after that, a baby girl. And 19 months after that, we had an almost 12-pound boy. We were, we were very busy and overwhelmed, but we were very grateful. In 1985, God sent a man named Scott into my life. He was addicted to alcohol, cocaine, and pornography. He would stop my, my office from time to time, usually jacked up on something. And one day he had a big smile on his face and I asked him why. And he said, Jesus. And I told him to get lost. That's not what I said. I said something very pervert. It was awful. And I said, don't ever come back. Fortunately, he did. His life was so new and so attractive. He had become a brand new person. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in, is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. He eventually invited me to a Bible study. I didn't even own a Bible. I decided to go, and six weeks later, I was saved in the book of John. I now had it all. Hot wife, great business, house in University Park, and Jesus. I was very prideful. The old self had not died. I was still making it all about myself. Proverbs 16, 18 said, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And one was coming. <clears throat> when the kids were young, we were all pretty happy, as I said before. But I was still not intentionally following Christ. An example would be my great idea for conflict resolution. Since my parents truly never fought in front of me and my sister, I decided to make sure that our kids could see us fighting. I just thought that was better. And that didn't work so well. So then I decided when we had conflict, I would just withdraw because you can't have a fight all by yourself, I thought. And that was still another bad idea. And neither one of us had a loving marriage modeled for us, so no wonder we just didn't know what to do. Um, God had a plan for us. I didn't understand it. I really had no idea what it was. I wasn't growing or drawing close to God. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of my favorite verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. A huge recession in Dallas construction and very poor financial planning on my part led my business to, literally, my business to lose nearly everything in the late 1980s. We almost lost our house to foreclosure. We almost lost our cars to repossession. I even hid my cars in my parents' house so they wouldn't be taken. My whole worth as a man and provider from my family was shattered. That was my identity, me at work. Um, because of me, Debbie had to get a job and leave being a stay-at-home mom. She was hurt. I had shattered her dream. I really just wanted to be at home and take care of the kids. One night I got really mad at John, and I told him because of his inability to provide for our family, he was stealing our children's childhood from me and shattering my dream. And I knew it really crushed his spirit for a long time. I was just angry because I had to go back to work. And later I did apologize and sought forgiveness. Well, as you can imagine, that was like a knife to the heart. I was unforgiving and became very bitter and angry. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. I did the opposite. Every little thing Debbie did or said, I used that as an excuse to say hurtful and abusive things to her. Debbie and the kids were living in fear of the next time that I would explode in front of them. I discovered the first casualty of sin is always relationships. I now know that hurt people hurt other people. We continued to escalate, including yelling and screaming and invalidating each other, and we began a crazy cycle of hurtful words. Long periods of withdrawal, sometimes weeks without talking, and total isolation. We would slowly begin talking, and then we would be intimate. This went on year after year after year after year. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. We had no godly counsel, and we didn't live in community with other believers. I didn't know what to do. I was so unhappy. But I knew I absolutely did not want a divorce. I lived through that with one of my parents, and I vowed I would never do that to my own children. Those doors were locked. 
I was operating alone and the devil was attacking me from every angle. 1 Peter 5, 8 says the enemy, your de the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We did start attending a Bible church and God's word began to heal our wounds and our family. And it became, our family life became a little bit safer and we decided to homeschool our children. Debbie spent all of her time doing that and I spent all of my time working. I began to hang around and spend time with some godly men, and the Lord began to heal my abusive heart. Those years were better, but they were still plagued by seasons of anger, rage, fear, fighting, and unforgiveness. I know that God wanted more from me. My anger and rage, which included putting my fist through a door, made Debbie and the kids fearful. My harsh words and critical spirit crushed all of them emotionally. My unforgiveness made them walk on eggshells around me. I was becoming my dad. Our kids went off to college, and we found ourselves just the two of us. That's when we joined Watermark. We went through re-engage, and a noticeable change began to take place. Even though we fought over the lessons and argued in the car in the parking lot before we came in, we did a lot. <laughs> Uh, God's word was being planted deep in our hearts. We got deeply involved in community, and the Lord slowly continued to change us. We told people the ugly stuff, and they still loved us. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Our home life was getting better and better, and now we were spending more time with other believers. During a Sunday service, our pastor explained that he had given his wife a list of men's names and phone numbers that she could call if he was not leading her well at home. I thought that was a good idea. So that afternoon, I gave Debbie a list of men she could call. She looked at the list and said, hmm, John, these four, top four guys are just like you. <laughs> and she marked them out. She wrote in new names and numbers. And it was one of the best gifts I ever gave her. <laughs> She'll testify to it. Go ahead. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I did eventually need to use the list. This actually turned out to be a huge help. And having other believers speaking truth to both of us made a big difference. Community is not just friends you hang out with. It's people who you intentionally share your personal life. And you apply God's word for life-giving transformation. Reengage taught us to be humble. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We honor Christ by honoring our spouse. Changes didn't happen overnight, just like our marriage didn't get wrecked overnight. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another, another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more time as you see the day approaching. That's good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Real men don't live in isolation. They run with other men of honor. They become servant kings, warrior kings for their families. My wife always wanted me to lead our family, and I now say, can say that I'm doing that. Men, become the spiritual leader of your house. Begin to pray with your wife nightly before you go to bed, just not at mealtime. Like most empty nesters, we remodeled our house when our kids left. But more importantly, we have been able to start remodeling what a godly marriage looks like to our adult children. 
Uh, three or four years ago, my oldest son gave me a Father's Day card. And on it, it said, Dad, thanks for loving Mom. You're the best dad a son could ever have or want. Christ has taken our 41-year-old marriage from a 2 to a 9. Deepful wounds, deep, painful wounds continue to be healed and restored. Our marriage verse, you might want to write this one down. Joel 2.25 says the Lord promises to restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. Many things have been restored, including the relationship with my earthly father, who became a Christian at age 92. He told me that he loved me for the very first time in my life, and that I was a good man just a year before he died. Regardless of what's occurred in your marriage, Jesus is the answer. There's no wound that can't be healed, no problem that can't be solved. Just come to the Savior and surrender and find rest. Of course, we still argue and disagree sometimes, but now we keep short accounts with each other. We quickly ask for forgiveness, and we quickly extend forgiveness, which is for us is huge. We decided that was just it. We're not doing this for the last third of our life. Mm-hmm. Is it fourth? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I We're hope it's old. third. <laughs> is that right? Uh, None of us here have marriage problems. We have Jesus problems. Put Christ in the center of your marriage. He is the glue. Hide his word deep in your hearts. Dive into community. Become fully known and lock the doors that lead to divorce and separation and throw the keys away. Allow God to change your spouse and invite him into your circle to change you. My husband is still driven and creative and hilarious, but most importantly, he loves Jesus. We pray that our story has given you hope and comfort. I can't wait to spend another 30 plus years with Debbie. She is my true life friend and I love her. Thanks for letting us share. Mm 